This week, Sid's taking a break while she's on Ultraman duty in Hawaii. She'll be back next week. And we wanted to start working in interviews with people around our sports on our regular episodes. So to start out, we have a great one for our first interview, the new CEO of USA Triathlon, Vic Broomfield. Now, fun fact, Vic actually agreed to come on the podcast with me right before the announcement that her interim role was being made official and she would become the first female CEO in USAT history. So naturally, we had some things to talk about. Now, Vic tells us a little bit about her background and how she got into Tri before we talk about her vision for triathlon and for USAT and what races she's got on her calendar. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review to help us grow the audience and share Vic's interview with your favorite triathlete. This is Kelly and Sid will be back next week. All right, this week we're welcoming the new USAT CEO, Vic Broomfeld. Now, Vic, the last time I feel like I saw you in person, you had just hitched a ride in a FedEx truck because you got lost on your gravel bike. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was lost more than I just wanted a ride, but yes, that is in fact true. And so I feel like I need, I, first off, I feel like I just need whatever the latest crazy Vic story is, but I also need to know like how many bikes do you have now? Because at the time it was like 10. Well, if I could turn my screen around, you'd see I have a brand new Epic Evo in a box. Okay. Um, I also have on order, It's it's been hard to find new bikes. Mm. I mean, it's just, you know, long live COVID, um, but I'm getting a new speed concept from Trek, which I'm really excited about. Um, but yeah, I've got, I don't know. I mean, the reality is it's like asking somebody how many shoes they have. Like they all have a different purpose and they're all important for different reasons. And I hoard them. Yes. You literally, out of everyone, counting pros, I think you have the most bikes of anyone I know. <laughs> and I ride them the least well. So it's <laughs> quite ironic. Yeah. But I love bikes. I don't know. I mean, bikes for me, are, it's like, you know, it's exercise while sitting down. It's as good I as I think it that goes. makes sense. Yeah. So I thought that like, since you now are, you know, the official, not interim anymore, CEO of USAT, we talk a little bit about your background, because I don't know that a lot of people know how you got into the sport, all that. Um, So you started out as an amateur cyclist, and I'm hoping you can, I don't actually know when you picked up the running and the swimming. Yeah, well, actually running and and triathlon came long before cycling. Mm -hmm. And I think it ties together with how I got into the sport professionally. When I was young, just coming out of college in 1999, I started working for a sports marketing agency in New York City. And they had a combination of owned events where they owned and operated experiences like a professional women's tennis tournament. And then they had clients for which they operated events for or managed Um, accounts. And so one of our major clients was NYC 2012, which was New York's Olympic bid effort back when we were Uh. trying to get games competing against Paris and London, and obviously London won. So as a part of our work, we produced demonstration sports for them to demonstrate their ability and New York's ability to host world-class events. And one of the events that we produced was the very first ever New York City triathlon. And It was a national championship for the pros. It was back when, um, I don't know if this happened all the time or if this was a one-off, but they did an elite 
national championship separate from an age group national championship. Right. They used to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just the elite race. And then we had all these other amateurs show up that were just everyday type A New Yorkers who wanted to jump in the Hudson. And so it was this really cool moment of, well, this could be the next New York City Marathon. So we should keep this going. And so the owner of the agency kept the race going. And that's how the New York City Triathlon started. So I have a long history of working in triathlon, not just with the New York City Triathlon, but other um, world triathlon back then ITU level events. And so I've always had an affinity for the sport professionally. And then I started competing. And when I say competing, I use that very loosely. I started participating um, in my, I guess my mid twenties and I've been doing it ever since. You know, I did a triathlon this past weekend and it's just- Did you? Yeah. Which one? So as a part of the NCAA national championships in Tempe, Arizona, they had an age group, you know, race as a part of it. And yeah, it was, you know, I don't do them fast. I end up stopping in transition and talking to all the officials and like (laughs) pulling over and talking to my friends who are working the race. I'm not competitive. I just love doing it. So it's something that I've always enjoyed, but I actually started running when I first moved to New York because I didn't know anyone. And so I would just do the New York Roadrunners events every weekend. And then that evolved into triathlon. And then that evolved into what was a pretty vibrant bike racing uh, community in New York City in the mid 2000s. How does one train for biking in New York City? Because I was there for the marathon a week ago. And I was like, you take your life into your own hands. Like it seemed insane to me. Yeah, but you take your life into your own hands anytime you like go outside, right? I uh, Or yeah. go upstairs. I don't know. I The thing is with New York is it it is actually the most incredible place to train. And here's why. Hmm. And I actually appreciate it even more living in Colorado now. I always lived right next to Central Park. Central Park is a fully lit six mile hilly loop that is essentially like the Tour de France every morning from 4 a.m. to 9 a.m. And it's incredible because it's very challenging. It's really great to do intervals. It's closed to traffic. It's fully lit and you can ride at any time of day year round. Living in Colorado, if it's dark out, you're riding on the streets in the dark. And it's, you know, it's much more challenging to get in a really good workout in the dark in a place that doesn't have something like Central Park. And then on the weekends or when you have time, you can ride up and over the bridge and you can ride through New Jersey and upstate New York forever. And it's just beautiful. And there's like 3000 athletes a day that go over the bridge to ride. So you're never alone. You sold me, convinced me. There you go. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) And it makes your little 300 square foot apartment look very cozy with bikes hanging everywhere. I was going to say, how many bikes did you have in your 300 square foot apartment? Too many. Too many. Too many. So if you guys started running and then triathlon back then, um, I mean, did you always know you wanted to work in sports management and sports events? Or did that just kind of, you said, you know, you started doing it right out of college. Did that just sort of happen? And you're like, oh, this is fun. I'll do this. Well... I would no, yes and no. I mean, I always worked through college. And so in college, I worked as a tournament director for a Johnny Miller golf course. I was a golfer hmm. growing up. And so that's where my interest was. So that's where I sought out opportunities. And at my senior year of college, I would operated a corporate outing for one of the major sponsors of a senior PGA golf tournament in Park City, which was on the other side. I went to BYU in Utah. And so I operated this golf tournament for this agency who was managing the senior PGA sponsorship. And after the corporate outing, they had a big balloon festival scheduled for like the next day, something like that. And it turned out that 
when they were on their way down, the pass was closed. And so they couldn't actually get from Park City to the location. And so I was the only person they knew. So they called me up, at, I don't know, like four o'clock in the morning and said, hey, can you help us? So I said, what else am I doing at four o'clock in the morning? Of course. So I like drove up there and I was like loading in cars and sending out balloons and doing media interviews. And, and it was just this incredibly cool experience. And afterward, the owner of the company offered me a job in New York. And so I said, cool, where's that? Sure. So that's how I ended up taking that job. But I had been studying um, communications in college and I had done my like senior thesis on sports marketing. And so I definitely had an interest in it. So it was a natural segue, but it was a really unique opportunity that just came to me because I was working hard and said yes to something. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Who knew that like balloons? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Balloon festivals are like, you know, they're like state fairs, but with balloons instead of sheep. I don't think I've ever been to one. Okay. Noted. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, I mean, if you're studying sports marketing, communications in college, you did end up going to business school at NYU in New York. Yes. At that point, I assume that you were like, okay, sports, business, event, this is what I want to do. How does business school then help you in, in that event management? I mean, did it, did it help you? Oh, totally. I, what okay. I loved about business schools, I went later in my career. So okay. I think what's more normal is to you know, work for two years and then go to business school. I worked for 10 or 12 years before I went back to business school. And so what was really cool about that is I had held all these big leadership roles leading up to going back to business school. And the reason why I wanted to go to business school was to really give myself a framework to say, can I elevate what I'm already doing? And it did do that. And it also validated that, you know, I'd been actually been doing a lot of great work up till that point as well. And what was interesting about it is when I went back to business school, there were so many people who'd work for their entire careers in a very, single space or siloed area or specific expertise. And what it helped me to realize is I actually brought this depth of range because I had worked in a capacity of overseeing essentially a small business. And so had experience of driving revenue and thinking through pricing strategy and sponsorship sales and operational efficiencies and HR and all the things that go into operating a business day to day, I went into business school with that experience. And what it helped me realize is that I think while I had always wanted to lead something, it made me realize that actually I'd be really good at leading something. And so it definitely switched the way I thought about what was possible for me. And it definitely informed how I made decisions after that first going to Virgin sport with Mary Wittenberg and then choosing to come here to USA triathlon. Cause I mean, we've talked so far about, you know, the agency you were at in, in New York Triathlon and all the individual events, but you ultimately worked at Lifetime, you worked at Virgin Sport, and those are very different kind of roles. Were you sort of trying to, like you're saying, craft yourself into this, this leadership role? You know, in hindsight, it looks very crafty. At the moment, it was just, they were all amazing opportunities that were super exciting at the time for different reasons. I mean, Lifetime was so exciting because they were going through massive acquisitions. They were buying... Mm -hmm lots of races and individual proprietors, companies that included triathlon and running events and cycling events. And they were trying to make sense of it all. And so it was this really cool opportunity to come in and say, how do we make all these small businesses work together in a synergistic way? So that was like super cool. And I was loving it and planned on being there for a really long time. But then Mary Wittenberg called me. When Mary Wittenberg calls, you answer. So <laughs> she was starting this new business for Virgin um, launching running festivals starting in the UK and then expanding to San Francisco. So like, I couldn't say no to that. I, I'm like, now I just breathe like red everywhere. 
red, white, and blue now, but still like, I loved working for Virgin. That was this incredible experience. And then for, you know, a lot of different reasons, we ended up shutting that business down, which created a new opportunity for me. And while I was evaluating options, cause I had a few different options in sports. I knew I wanted to stay in sports. When I saw the opportunity at USA triathlon, it's interesting because when I talked about it to my peers and mentors and colleagues, like, what mm -hmm. should I do? Should I do opportunity A, B or USAT? And like, everybody was like, not USAT. But <laughs> I why, just, why, why? I think because at the time, and you know, I, I'm sure that we could talk a lot about this. There had been huge decline in endurance sports in general. I think that the Olympic and Paralympic movement were not known for being progressive, innovative, creative, mm -hmm. and forward thinking. Um, and it was an organization that needed a lot of change. And it was all those things that excited me most because they had actually just hired a new CEO for the very reason of it needed to change. And he mm -hmm. needed somebody to come in and implement that change and help, you know, drive the strategy. And in my mind, I went back to what I, I realized in business schools, I wanted to be a leader of an organization and I wanted to have an impact on a sport. And there was no better opportunity to really practice doing that than, than the opportunity at USA triathlon. What was your official time? I mean, you told me, you've told me that it changed all the time, depending on what the job was. <laughs> yeah. We had like a title roulette. Um, it was chief of staff when I started mm -hmm. and then over COVID we made some changes and I took on business development, marketing communications. So I took on a chief business development officer role as well. Um, but as chief of staff, I mean, that, you know, that can be interpreted a lot of different ways, depending on where you are. Essentially, when I came in, it was overseeing all the business operations, finance, IT, legal, HR, all strategy. So where are we going long term and how do we operationalize that on an annual and day to day basis across the organization? So that's essentially what the role was. And then, you know, also leading priorities for the CEO as needed. And so, you know, in that role. I was able to work at every single level of the organization. So it was great because I learned intimately every area of what we do, what we're doing well, what we're not doing well, um, and what we should be spending more time doing. So it was a really, it was probably the best runway or ramp up that you could ever get to a CEO leadership role. Which is where we are now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So in the, in the announcement of you being CEO, I was like, so you were intern CEO since Rocky left. Yep. like three, four months, three months ago. And in all the announcements, it says Vic has a clear vision for USAT. And so I kept thinking, what is the vision, Vic? You had to growth, tell us. What, yeah. We got to get back to growing. Yeah. Okay. I mean, when did you come into the sport, Kelly? Oh, a lot. Like 20, 2008. 2008. That mm -hmm. was like the heyday for the sport. Right. Do you I remember? So. What that yeah. Was like? Yeah. It was like there were races everywhere and they were selling out and they were vibrant and they were like the sport, the club space, the professional racing at the short course level. Like you could go race for prize money at probably a dozen different short course races across the country for real prize money. And it was just such a vibrant time for the sport. And that's what we need to get back to in a different way, but in a more intentional way. I think a lot of that growth was um, coincidental just from like the high tide of the sport growing and exponentially. And then of course, 
with that becomes the boom of everybody wanting to start races and start clubs and become a coach. And we need to, I think, re-harness that momentum and probably put a little more structure and support behind it. But that's what we need to get back to, 100%. How are we going to do that? How are you going to do that? <laughs> well, I mean, look, everything takes time. Right. I think a big area for us to focus on is youth. You know, mm -hmm. when we think about there's been no other part of the sport hit harder than youth racing. And it's not just youth racing, right? It's getting kids involved in swimming, biking, and running and putting it together in a way that's fun, they, they can play with their friends and not just getting kids out to do an A race like their parents would, right? Like we need to treat kids like their kids. So it's developing new programming, supporting and amplifying existing programming to get kids out and racing. And we're, we've already been doing a lot of that over the past year. We've had a whole youth stimulus program to incentivize coaches and race directors and clubs to create, start or support youth events. Um, the other thing is we have to build a really robust high school program. We're not a scholastic sport. The reality is we probably won't ever be, right? But look at what NICA's done. NICA, the um, mountain, mountain bikes, it's, it's not in schools, typically. It's, it's, you know, parents who are creating these clubs that brings high schools together to compete in communities. And they have something like 3,000 high school clubs. So how can we bridge from where we are today to having thousands of high school clubs, creating a pipeline for not only NCAA, which we hit our 40th university this year, and we're adding new universities all the time. That's for young women to compete at the NCAA level. And I was just at the NCAA championships this past weekend. It was so exciting. These young women are so talented, um, but also creating opportunities for all young collegiate kids to participate, kids, young adults, right. to participate in the sport and really building a robust collegiate program. You know, you mean USA Good. Well, I was going to say, you mean the collegiate club scene then essentially, yes. which is, I mean, I know there's a lot of, I've been to a lot of collegiate races, right? And there's kind of this dichotomy between the club and the NCAA women. And, you know, they're not the same. And, and a lot of focus has been on NCAA, but you're saying we got to do them both. All. We've got to do both. We've got to do both. We've got to have a really strong club program so that we have opportunities for all young adults to go participate in sport across the country beyond these 40 universities for NCA, which will grow, right? But it's not going to grow to 4,000. But we could get hundreds and hundreds of, of other universities at the club level so that young men and women can participate together at the club level. And then high school can feed into that, creating this ecosystem of athletes who may want to follow the pathway to high performance, or they may just want to be lifelong athletes. And so I think that's how we think about the long-term build is we've really got to invest in that young pipeline and making sure that every stage of your life, you have an opportunity to come into the sport with real structure and real community around it. So that's just one of the things we're thinking of. It's just one of the things. Okay. Mm -hmm. What are the, uh, the other things? Well, it's getting more, it's making sure that we've got great races out there. Okay. You know, we've like, just think about amateur racing in general. A lot of the really great races where I started, the Philadelphia Women's Triathlon, there's still a Philadelphia Women's Triathlon, but the one I started in back in the early 2000s isn't around anymore. There's a lot of great races that just aren't around anymore. So how do we help race directors have robust businesses so that they're incentivized to put on races? And putting on races is hard. You know, there's 
city regulations are at an all-time high, city costs are at an all-time high, and it used to be that the cities would absorb the cost because, you know, the triathlon showcases a community better than any other sport, right? Because you're showing off the water and the roads and the trails, and it's such, it's, this incredible sport to demonstrate the natural resources of community, but now everybody's struggling financially. So the cops want to get paid now and the park wants <laughs> to get paid now. And the, like, you know, the city manager wants to, everybody wants to get paid. And so how do we help race directors operate their businesses um, so that they can have, they can have robust businesses and we can have more races because races are the core of the sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that's one of the things, um, I mean, Rocky talked about it, you talked about it, where without races the last three years, triathlon really, I mean, two years, whatever it was, triathlon really kind of struggled. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think all participation-based mm-hmm. sports struggled. Uh, and, you know, you see it in running. Look at Boston. For the first time in how long can you qualify for Boston just by running your time? And, right, and it's because there's just fewer runners in the pipeline because the whole ecosystem went dormant for a long time. And so one, we need to get it back up and running and think about it. Most of these race directors, there's a few big ones out there. The majority of them, they're mom and pop. They're like running these things either as a side hustle or their core business, but they're scrappy and they're entrepreneurial and they had to take a year and a half off. Mm -hmm. And so that's hugely impactful on them. So like not only being patient and, and, helping them ramp back up, but getting the members to go in and support their local races, race more often, race more local races. I mean, that's really what's going to get the sport back. All right. So, okay. So we're focusing on youth, the pipeline, we're focusing on getting race directors back up, and then we're going to create more growth again. We're going to get back to the growth. There is a lot of money pouring into triathlon these days. Um, how is that going to like trickle down? You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of at the top level CEOs of the world. Right. So what they're doing is so important because, so let's talk about this. When, if you were to just go talk to somebody on the street and say, Hey, what do you think of triathlon in their mind? What do you think they're thinking of? They they say, Oh, that one in Hawaii. That's crazy. Yeah. Right. They're thinking you have to be this very wealthy, insanely fit, specimen of a human being with a heck of a lot of money and time to go do this crazy long thing that takes like a week and a half to do. Okay. That's what most people think. And the reason why they think that is because the majority of TV time and media coverage over the years has been Ironman and Ironman's incredible. What they've done for the sports phenomenal in so many ways. And and we truly value, appreciate and partner with them. We also need to get additional visibility in the sport of all the different formats and we need to create fans around the athletes and i think doing all those things will help people have a better understanding of what the sport is the accessibility and the prestige around the sport and so every dollar that's being invested now around media and creating opportunities for professionals i think is just elevating the entire sport from a general understanding of the sport which will only help us commercialize and grow the sport in the long term what is USAT's role in this? Because obviously USAT is technically, not technically, it is the national governing body, but you then are very tied to the Olympic movement to right. get your funding based on how many medals. But unlike a lot of national governing bodies, you guys are also very involved in ensuring race directors and certifying coaches and like the nitty yeah. gritty. And so how do you see kind of your role in this new future of money coming in, professionalizing? Yeah. Well, I want to clarify something really quick. When you talked about we get paid by medals. So- 
a very small portion of our funding specifically for the Olympic Paralympic mm -hmm. high performance pipeline, those who go compete on the world stage um, in the Olympic Paralympic pathway, we do get funding from the US Olympic and Paralympic Committee. We are the largest and only federation in the or federation um, country that is not funded by the government. Mm -hmm. So you look at the UK, for example, their Olympic Paralympic program is funded by the lottery. Ours is funded by philanthropic growth and the US Olympic and Paralympic Committee and their ability to commercialize the games. So that is one small piece of what we do. Um, it is very important that we ensure that our elite athletes have, that we've got the best elite athletes in the world, that they have the resources and tools they need to realize their potentially, potential. And hopefully that does result in world medals, especially as we look to LA and having home games coming. And we can talk about that too, if you want. The, the rest of our organization is focused on the health and wellness of the sport in America. And they're tied together, but the sport in general, we are responsible for making sure that the sport is supported, uplifted, and, and successful and vibrant. And so when you talk about what our role is, whether it's Ironman or PTO or Super League or all these other organizations that are investing in sport, it is our role to partner with them and support them and make sure that they're successful and that we help all these organizations work together. And it's not just about them, but making sure that we also support the small, the smaller race and operators and coaches and clubs that we've been talking about. The entire ecosystem matters and everybody plays a different role, but our role is to make sure that the entire ecosystem is supported. From, okay. So I'm thinking about it from a business perspective, because obviously you guys have members, you also yep. have insurance and certifications, and then you yep. also have this elite. And then you also have, and Rocky did a great job with this, bringing in sponsors. And so that those are all the different funding sources, essentially, right? Yeah, I think to your point, we have the high performance funding. We have the commercial funding of partners that want to connect with the audience, the sport. Um, that's the sponsorship side of the business. And then we have the membership side of the business. So when you participate in a sport by buying a membership to USA Triathlon, not only does that give you access to the race and insurance coverage, but it also gives you additional benefits, both from mm -hmm. sponsors and from USAT, where we invest back into the sport to make sure that there's value for members to be connected to us. And hopefully they feel like they're a part of something bigger, right? Like we are the national federation. We're red, white, and blue. We're the Olympics and we're the Paralympics. Like we want people when they participate in the sport to feel like they're a part of something better. And as they compete in the sport, whether it's in duathlon, aquathlon, triathlon, short course, long course, that they have a pathway to also go compete at the world level, even at the amateur level. And that's happening next weekend, even the Abu Dhabi, right? In yeah. Abu Dhabi. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what um, is a real, I participated in the multi-sport national championships this past spring. I did four races and in three of them, I qualified to go to the world championships next year in both um, Ibiza and Ponte Vedra in Hamburg actually. So I could go compete around the world in my red, white, and blue team USA kit um, by participating in these qualification races. And I think that that's something that is really exciting for amateur athletes to understand that you can go participate like an elite athlete, like an Olympian, on the world stage by qualifying through races, grassroots races across the country. Yeah, no, um, you guys have a whole pipeline, a whole thing. I think the USAT is actually relatively unique out of all the kind of like national, like USA swimming doesn't care that much about adult yeah. swimmers, right? Like that's why USA, US master swimming exists. Like USA cycling, 
it's weird, right? Like there's all these different, all the other organizations kind of don't do as many things as USAT does. Well, look, I love USA Cycling and I've been in a, a proud card holding member of USA Cycling for a really long time. And if I wanted to go compete in Masters Nationals, I just register and go compete in Masters Nationals where at USA Triathlon Nationals, you qualify to mm -hmm. get there for at least the age group nationals. Um, for multi-sport nationals, those are open for anybody to register. But if you qualify, you can then go compete for Worlds which is what we're talking about. And they have the world championships they have in all over the world, depending on which right. race you qualified for. And to your point, Abu Dhabi is the world championships happening next weekend, both for elites, Olympic, Paralympic, and age group. It's a tough one for age groupers from the U.S. since it's uh, Thanksgiving weekend. So I know, little, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go on a desert safari for my Thanksgiving. <laughs> Sounds great. You guys, you mentioned that uh, LA is in 2028. Obviously, that's a huge thing for, I mean, every U.S. sport. But you, one of your things you you and Rocky worked on kind of over the last is the Elevate 2028 plan, right? And that's sort of aiming for this. What are some of the key principles of that that you're, you're going to be implementing now? So the reason why we focused on LA 2028 is because every games matters. Mm -hmm. And and the reality is when you're an amateur triathlete and when you care about the sport like we do, every day matters, right? And every season and every year. But what we also know is that there's a massive boom in sport in home countries when a games comes to town. So huh. what we want to make sure is that when we're all watching on prime time, which look, the reality is it was hard during Tokyo to watch, right? Just because of the time change. But when LA 2028 comes around, we're all going to be watching it on TV or however we're watching uh, media at the time, which you know a lot can change in the next six years, but we're all gonna be watching this primetime coverage of triathletes competing. And we wanna make sure for both tri Olympic triathlon and Paralympic triathlon that we've got American athletes dominating the front of that coverage and the top of podiums. And when people like us are watching that, we get all psyched and pumped and say, I wanna do that, that we like Google how to do triathlon that there's a really strong community wherever they are for them to come into the sport. So similar to what we were talking about, whether they're a kid, you know, that's like 12 years old or at high school or college level or an adult like us, that there's a place for them to go in their community to participate, engage in the sport at every level. So when we look at LA 2028, that's the vision is how do we make sure that that robust, healthy ecosystem exists? And so, Every strategy that we've laid out leading up to that point is focused on growing the sport, serving the existing community, and making sure that we're performing and operating at the highest level, um, both at the Olympic and Paralympic level, but also organizationally. And so that's how we think about um, leading up to LA and also making sure that as we grow, that we diversify the sport, that it's a more diverse athlete base and a, than, than we have right now. Because the reality is it's not a super diverse sport. We're more diverse now than we were, but there's so much work to do. And so that's how we're thinking about the next six years. Was there a boom after Tokyo or was it just like too hard to tell with COVID? It's so hard to tell, mm. you know, and I think we're, we're just, if you talk to anybody working in, well, you do, you talk to people working <laughs> in the sport every day. My, my guess is they're saying, we're just, we're just trying to recover yeah. and, and stabilize. Is that, Fair. Yeah, yeah. Numbers, I think, event-wise are still like 30, 40% down for everything going into next year. So, Yeah, I mean, some, it depends. I mean, some races are up, some are sure. down. I think show-up rates have, you know, also varied and it's, mm -hmm. it's hard to know how to compare it. So all of our comparisons now, we're looking back to 2019 or 2018. Right. I mean, 2020 is a wash and 2021 was like, 
eh. I mean, we were in COVID restrictions through June. Yeah. So in 2021, um, so yeah, it's, it's a new normal. When you are comparing now, um, to 2019, what are the trends you're kind of seeing in, I know, I know the back end of data is a whole thing trying to track, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but well, what are, you know, and in all transparency, I mean, one of the things when, uh, I came into USA triathlon, you know, and, and follow or supported supporting Rocky is one of the biggest issues here was our technology. <laughs> and we had massive data collection challenges because it's just the infrastructure was so bad and databases were overriding each other. And there were just a lot of issues with, with data in general. And that's something we've been really focused on cleaning up. Um, so we're feeling much better about our data now um, and the numbers. But I think what we saw was, you know, the sport had been in decline from probably 2013 to 2017. Looks like it had probably bottomed out in 2017. 2018, a little bit of a bump, 2019, a little bit of a bump, and then we hit COVID. So what we want to get back to is that 2018 growth number. What we're seeing is we are well far ahead of 2021, um, but we're still lagging behind 2019. So, you know, our goal is to get back to 2019. I mean, our goal in 2023 is let's get back to that growth trajectory that we were on before COVID. Okay. But we aren't, I mean, obviously, obviously 2022, it's felt like we're getting back to things, but it's still kind well, of a slow. It's felt like exponential growth, right? Because we, we were coming from such a low point and it is coming back, but we are still seeing attrition in certain areas, especially like clubs, you know, mm. like a lot of clubs just dissolved over, over COVID. Um, they didn't have that like robust club infrastructure. They were social clubs or they were, you know, people ended up moving away because people started relocating all over the country or all over the world during COVID because they could, and they could work remotely. And so I think we're seeing some of that, that we need to start to like re pull, like, you know, the, the community needs to start gelling again. And I think we are seeing that it's just going to take time to mm -hmm. normalize it and bring it back fully. So, and this is a weird question, but bear with me. So given that all these things we've talked about are kind of things you've been working on for the last five years or so, now that you're, now that you're in charge, what are you going to do different yeah. at USAT? Well, I mean, I think everything I've just talked about is different because it's, it's built on what we were building toward, but then we hit okay. COVID. You know, okay. like we just like every other organization were devastated over COVID. You know, our staff was reduced by 30%. Um, our revenue dropped significantly. We were, we too were just trying to survive. And so now it's making sure what was cool about COVID is it forced us to get back to the very bare essentials with our limited resources. What do we care about most? And it's aligned with what we've been talking about, right? Like we have to get back to focusing on our core constituents of race directors, coaches, clubs, supporting them, getting our officials, bringing them back, making sure that as we grow races, that more races are bringing on officials because mm -hmm. they see the value, because it demonstrates that it's a safe race, it's a fair race, and that they're also stewards of USA Triathlon and the brand and that they're service oriented. So we've been shifting a lot of what we do over this time of transition to let's just not focus on growth. Let's make sure that as we grow, we're reinforcing value and service every step of the way. So that's different and that's new. And part of it's just because it's an evolution. You know, like we were in the process of fixing things and now we're in the process of improving things. And so it's just a different time in the iteration that we've been experiencing over the last five years. And I think what I talked about as well about our renewed focus on youth, high school and collegiate club, that's entirely new. That's okay. something that we've been fully focused on in the last four months in a way that we haven't had the resources or ability to focus on up until this time. 
Okay, I get that. I was just, you know, I'm just curious. Is, is yeah. Vic going to go through and change everything? <laughs> well, look, I think the reality is we were on a really good path. Right. So directionally, I'm not changing anything. How we deliver against it, I want to make sure that we're doing less really, really well. And it's entirely focused on service, value, support, and growth. If we can do those things across everything we do, we're going to, the sport is going to be better. And it's not just us, right? Like right. we're a nonprofit. We're doing everything we can. Every dime we bring in goes back into serving the sport in some way. So that's who we are. Like that is our ethos. That's what we do. But the reality is this is an ecosystem that relies on every member and every entrepreneur and every business owner out there to really come together, collaborate and, and keep the sport up and running. I mean, like it's going to take a village for lack of a like better term. Like it takes all of us. It takes people like you. I mean, what you're doing in your media is galvanizing the community and it's, it's making sure that people's voices are heard. And it's, mm -hmm. so I think that it takes, it takes all of us making sure that the sport is amplified in a way that comes across is inspiring and accessible. I don't know if it's always expiring, inspiring. <laughs> you are inspiring every day. <laughs> every day. So how has the first week gone so far? Are you getting any training in or is it just super busy? You know, I, I don't, it's been, it's been, it's been a hard few months. Um, my training has suffered, uh, but I have a full race calendar next year. We'll see if I actually accomplish it all. Uh, I think I'm going to do the California coast ride in January. Yep. So hopefully that happens. I did it last year by myself. Uh, this year, I think I'm going to actually do it with some people. Okay. That's, yeah. that's key to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like me and a guy in a unicycle, like riding down the coast. I, I don't know who he was, but he was beating me. That was like the hard, that was the sad part. Um, I'm going to do Oceanside 70.3 in the spring. I'll probably do some gravel racing just because I absolutely love it. Um, I'll probably do some mountain bike racing because I love it. And I'm also registered for Ironman California in the fall. Are you? So, I'm, I'm registered. You are? Yes. I only do downriver swims. Okay, good. Like, if a bag of Cheetos can't do it in an hour, it's not for me. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm registered because it's our local race and I'm trying to get a whole group of friends. It's gonna be so much fun. It's gonna be so great. Oh, well, I'm in, I'm in. And you know, the reality is, is that I just love participating in events. So I'll do multi-sport nationals. Um, the mixed okay. team relay is something I really want to do. The super sprint was the most fun you can have in 23 minutes. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I hope to be out there a lot. I mean, like I mentioned this weekend, I did the amateur race when I was out for the NCAA championships. Um, I just like, I'm so inspired being around people that participate in these events. I just, I feel like it brings out the best version of me, which is still slow, but, but it makes me happy and it brings me joy and it gives me a chance to, to ride bikes with people, which is one of the things I love. Have you never done a mixed relay? I haven't. I watched it this past year and it, have you done one? Yeah, they, I did one once at the, some, when they were trying, you know, when you, you know, when you guys were trying to make it a thing now and it was like happening at all the collegiate events that happened back yeah. when I was in college. And so we like got some people, it's very, very hard. That's for sure. Well, it's hard if you do it fast, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, I like it during my race on Saturday, at one point, one of the officials was like, shouldn't you go out on the run course now? Cause I was just sitting there chatting with like one of the officials of like, Oh, how you been? How's the family? So yeah, okay. everything's fun if you do it slow. 
There you go. <laughs> cool. Well, um, I'm looking forward to seeing you at every race next year, all the events. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, uh, good luck with, you know, with the new job. Hopefully you get, you get some hours back outside training. Oh yeah. I mean, the, at the end of the day, training is my therapy. Like there's nothing I love more than, you know, swimming in my master's group and, and riding my trainer, getting out in the hills and, and running on the trails. So I'll, I'll be, whether I race or not, that's just how I live my life. So. Well, yeah, you got to get all the bikes out. So. Yeah. And I, and I got to keep that. It's like cars, right? If you don't drive them, don't they like fall apart? You gotta Probably. like, yeah. Uh, so I gotta, I gotta keep my, my babies rolling. Well, thanks for chatting with us, Vic, and good luck with everything. Thanks, Kelly. Good to see you.